Mark. Can I invite you all to uh, open up your Bibles, please? We'll go straight to the Word now. Uh, to 1 Timothy. We find ourselves in, a, in week four of our series in 1 Timothy, uh, in chapter two. If you don't have your Bibles, it should be up on the screen behind me. Chapter 2, verse 8 to 15. Chapter 2, verse 8 to 15. It's a bit of a difficult passage today, and so I encourage you to pray for Pastor Paul as he unpacks this for us in your hearts as I read this for us. Maybe even pray for your hearts that, that God might speak to you uh, by His Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 8. It's a reminder that this, this is the Word of God. I desire then that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Amen. Uh, welcome again to Kingsway. It's good to see uh, some old faces. It's good to see some Old faces I haven't seen in a while, and it's good to see some new faces. I'm trying to make eye contact. Okay, <laughs> but it's good to see you. Um, all right, let's jump into it. There's some benefits to preaching whole books of the Bible, right, like we're doing now. We're going through the book of First Timothy, um, as opposed to jumping around verse by verse, you know, on different weeks, or going through topics, which we sometimes do. Let's say topics about money for five weeks, or let's talk about suffering for five weeks. There's a benefit to what we're doing right now, which is preaching books of the Bible. And one of the benefits is that we are forced to confront passages that we might otherwise prefer to avoid, right? Today being an example of it. Uh, that's not completely foolproof, Right? Just because you preach books of the Bible um, doesn't mean you don't avoid things. You can avoid whole books of the Bible because you don't want to talk about what's in there. Uh, but at least as we go through books of the Bible, it helps us to touch on some sensitive topics. And today, right, if there ever was a sensitive topic, uh, it would be what we're looking at today. Today's passage is highly controversial, and it's definitely uh, one of the most controversial passages of our time today. Right, this passage about, especially if, if you missed it in verse 11 to 13, about the role of women uh, in the church. Now I want to acknowledge that what I might say today may make some of us uncomfortable. Uh, it might even offend some of us. And if you're new to church, and especially if you don't count yourself as a Christian, um, I've got a request for you. Uh, you may disagree with what I'm going to say because it's quite different from what the rest of the world says. And that's okay. You can disagree with me. But my request to you is to not give up on God because of this issue. Right? This is an important issue, uh, but it is a secondary issue. Uh, the most important issue that I want you to investigate is who Jesus is. And so before you give up on God, you know, especially in light of this text, um, just put that aside and first look at Jesus, right? because that's of first importance, and then 
if you want to give up on God, uh, you can do that maybe later. Now, today's passage is very controversial uh, today, but this wasn't always the case. For the majority of the last 2,000 years, this passage uh, wasn't controversial at all. Uh, This wasn't debated. Uh, People didn't say, oh, what does this mean? It means this or that. There wasn't much writing about this passage. It's only really in the last 50 to 60 years that this passage kind of resurfaced and gained a lot of renewed attention. But for the past, you know, I guess... 1950 years before that, since the time of Jesus or since the time of Paul, people had no problem with this passage. And why in the last 50 or so years? What also happened, what coincided with that timing about 50, 60 years ago, is that in America, uh, the women's rights movement uh, became a thing, right? And so this was the, what they call the second wave of feminism, uh, they call the first wave of feminism was when women uh, were wanting to uh, be able to vote, right? and that happened maybe uh, a century or two before that. Uh, but about 50, 60 years ago, there was a second wave, and this was about uh, areas such as politics and work, family, sexuality, and for women to have rights in society in those areas. Right? And that movement, I'm not saying it's a bad movement, but along with that movement came a sudden interest and a reinterpretation of this text. And the reason why I bring that up is that we need to be careful and humble when we approach the Bible, especially when there's a new interpretation of Scripture because of the outside world. When the cultural forces around us are the reason why we come to the Bible and say, I'm actually going to change what I believe about this. We need to be careful. It's okay if it comes from within the Bible. If from within the Bible we say, oh, biblically, or we understand context better or language better, we don't think the Bible is saying this anymore. That's fine. But when the outside world and what the world outside of us thinks begins to shape the Bible, we need to be careful. I'm not saying it's always wrong, but we need to tread carefully and tread humbly. Now, each of us, we probably have an opinion about the role of women in the world, in the family, and in the church. And what I'm going to ask is that we would lay aside our preconceptions and our preferences that we might just seek to understand what God's Word says. Because the world doesn't make sense of the Bible. The Bible makes sense of the world. For the Christian, it's the Bible that is our ultimate truth, and it is the lens by which we understand everything around us. And culture should not come in and tell us what to believe about what God's Word says. Right? That's the temptation, to make the current opinions and our present society tell us what God's Word says. But God's Word doesn't change with the times. God's Word is timeless. It is unchanging. It is always true. And so that's what we're going to try to do today. Okay, I want to ask us to close our eyes for a minute and pray. Right? I'm, going to, I'm just going to pray for us because uh, we do need God's help. And we need God's yeah, work in our hearts to um, receive this word humbly. Now let me pray for myself. God, I just ask that... Um, yeah, that you would be with us as we touch on this uh, controversial topic. 
uh, that you'll be with me as I speak, that I would lay aside uh, my own preconceptions and hopefully through preparation and prayer, uh, that this is indeed uh, what your word says. And so give me clarity, uh, give me courage and help me to lay myself before you. And God, I also pray for each of us here as we sit under your word, that we will truly sit under your word. And God, there's a lot of voices around us. There's a lot of opinions that we grew up in, grew up with, uh, but we only want your word to reign. We want you to tell us what we should believe. We want you to tell us how we should behave. And so God, help us in our hearts to humbly come and lay ourselves before you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, Paul wrote this letter 2,000 years ago, and it's fascinating how applicable what he wrote in these verses um, is to us today, even though it was 2,000 years ago. And I think it's actually very relevant to us today. Last week, Peter talked about how a healthy church prays healthy prayers. Right? That's kind of my summary of it. Chapter 1 was about a healthy church has healthy doctrine, What you believe matters, because if you have a healthy belief, you will behave in a healthy way. So what you believe matters. And therefore, if the church believes what is right, that's foundational, we will behave in certain ways. And so last week, Peter said, a healthy church with a healthy doctrine, what we believe, will then behave in a healthy way. And so we will pray healthy prayers. Now, continuing on with that theme of what we do as a healthy church, Paul will challenge us in three areas. He's going to call us to be a healthy church, and a healthy church does these three things. It pursues community, it pursues character, and this is the controversial one, it pursues creation's order. So against the lie of individualism around us, that's trying to integrate into the church, we push that aside and we go for community. The lie of glamour, we push that aside and we go for character. And the lie of equality, we push that aside and we go to creation's order. Right? That's where we're going today. All right, so number one, a church that pursues community. Let's begin with verse 8. Paul says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now, again, the controversial part is it's the number three, so we'll get to it. Uh, but I just want to point out two things first. Here, when Paul says, I desire then, the word then is the same word as therefore. And so Paul could be saying, therefore, I want in every place men to pray. Now, the therefore is linking what he's saying here with what came before. And again, that was last week's sermon. The sermon was about prayer. So Paul talked about prayer. A healthy church prays, we should pray, therefore, I want men to pray. Right? That's, that's just a summary of what he said before, basically. Uh, but now, what is new is what he says after that. We should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. That's the kind of new part that he's now going to talk about. Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now, when you think about it, it's like, what does prayer... And my approach to God in this place of worship have to do with anger. What does prayer have to do with quarreling? They're completely different things, right? One's about me and God, and one's about me and the people next to me. But that's the point that Paul wants to make. 
Paul goes from talking about what is primarily about your vertical relationship with God in prayer to now talk about your horizontal relationship with each other. And he's saying those two things are not disconnected. They are interconnected. Jesus says something very similar in Matthew chapter 5. He says, if you are offering your gift at the altar, so you're coming to church and you're worshiping God, and he says, but you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus makes that connection there, that if you're going to come here to worship God, it's not enough for you to say, God, I love you, and you lift up holy hands if the relationships around you in the church are dysfunctional. That if there is brokenness or anger or uh, unforgiveness in your relationships, drop that and go find forgiveness. The love and the grace and the forgiveness that we've experienced in this vertical relationship is to be then extended in these horizontal relationships. That's the way it works. And if we are unable to extend it in our horizontal relationships, the Bible says you should question whether you've experienced it in the first place. Right? If you cannot give grace... Maybe you haven't experienced it. If you cannot give forgiveness, maybe you don't know the forgiveness in Jesus Christ, right? That's what Jesus says. If you can't forgive, maybe you're not forgiven. Paul is saying, I want people to pray to God. I want us to come together and lift holy hands. But it's not okay to lift holy hands to God while also lifting angry fists at each other. They're interconnected. And Paul's calling out men here. Because men, particularly, though not exclusively, would struggle with things like being assertive, combative, or arrogant. The things that would lead to anger and quarreling. It's not just men, but particularly men would struggle with something like this. Paul is saying a healthy church is a church that not only has a healthy vertical relationship with God, but we have healthy horizontal relationships with one another. The gospel of Jesus Christ radically transforms how I relate with God and how I relate with you and how you relate with the people around you. And again, this is important to us today, right now, in the 21st century, as we live in Australia, because we live in a Western world that is highly individualistic. And oftentimes that um, individualistic mindset infiltrates into the church and we think that faith is just about me and God. And that's a lie. Jesus came to die for your sins that you might have a relationship with God. That's very individualistic. And it's true, but that's not all the gospel is. Because God doesn't just save you for himself, into a relationship with himself, but into a relationship with the family. You're a child of God, and I'm a child of God, and there's a brother of God and a sister of God, and therefore we're a family. That's what God calls us into. And so it's not enough for you to come here and just focus on God, just to talk to God, and just to hear from God. You want to talk to the people next to you, and you want to hear from the people next to you. This individualistic mindset that shows up when we come to church thinking it's okay For me to sit in service and sing and pray 
and hear a sermon and run out and not talk to anyone. Because it's about me and God. That's the individualistic kind of world we're living in. And Paul is saying it's not like that. That vertical relationship is important, yes, but we were made for community. It shows up when, we're, when people say it's okay to just live stream church. And I don't need to go to church because I can get everything I need in my pajamas, in my bed, watching a live stream of a great preacher overseas because we're doing all those things. That's very individualistic because it's about me and God. But it's more than that, right? We're called to more than that. When people say it's about my faith, so don't tell me how to live. Don't tell me what to believe. Again, that's very individualistic. We are called not just to believe, we are called to belong. So belong to a church. And so, let me ask you, do you have any negative relationships in the church? And if your answer is yes, there is work to be done there. Don't lift holy hands to God while lifting angry fists at each other. Be reconciled, forgive, extend grace. Also, do you have any positive relationships in the church? Right, ones that help you and stir you to love Jesus more. And if your answer is no, well, there's work to be done there as well. Our faith is not purely individualistic. We are called to believe. We are called to belong. That's the first call. Pursue community. This is going against the lie of this individualistic world we live in. And the second is that we would pursue character. And this goes against the lie of the, the glamour that the world tells us to pursue. External beauty, appearances, and what you wear, how you look. And Paul's pushing against that. Verse 9. Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. Now, respectable apparel means worthy of respect or honorable. So wear honorable things. Modesty means not showing off, not drawing attention to yourself. And self-control is speaking about the ability to control yourself, to not just go along with the trend or fashion or culture, but to be controlled to do what God desires. So women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Now let me say what Paul isn't saying. Paul's not saying, don't wear these things. As if braided hair, gold, pearls, and costly attire, they're the four things we cannot do. Right? It's not, Paul's not out, outlawing these four things. He's not saying braided hair is bad, but pigtails are okay. He's not saying pearls and what is it, gold is bad, but you can have diamonds all around and that's okay. Right? That's not how specific. These are just examples. Right? So he's not saying don't wear these things. Neither is he saying don't wear nice things. It's not that the church is filled with people who are only allowed to wear gray. It's not that you can't, you know, express yourself, you know, through your clothing and, oh, that looks nice and that looks pretty and I want to wear that. It's not that we can't do those things. 
If you look at what Paul is contrasting, it's not simply glamorous apparel versus unglamorous apparel. He's contrasting glamorous apparel versus godliness. It's glamour versus godliness. And Paul's saying, stop being so obsessed with what you wear and how you look. You should be obsessed about how godly you are. Your character, your integrity, your holiness. These are the things that Christians should care about most. And he particularly calls out women, not exclusively, right? It's not that men don't struggle with this at all, but particularly this is a struggle, he says, for women. We live in a society, again, that lies to us, that your outward appearance, glamour, what you wear and how you look is everything. And so think about it and do everything to look the best. Now in context, in the time of Paul and even now, people were coming into the church just like dressed in such a way, looking such a way to draw attention to themselves, thinking only about this. People are wearing too little or people are wearing too much. People are wearing too little and so it's provocative, right? And drawing attention to yourself by showing skin or whatever it is. Or people are wearing too much, blinged up with excessive jewelry and brand names like everywhere, shiny, I don't know, shiny stuff, and just wanting to gain attention. All for the sake of impressing other people because they believe this is the area that matters most. How I look. But beauty in the eyes of God is about your character. It's about who you are, not what you look like. It's about your godliness, what Paul calls good works. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. What is beautiful in the sight of God is not the external, but the internal. Proverbs 31.30, it says, Charm is deceitful. And beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I gave this analogy once about, I came home one day, before I was married, came home, my mom extended to me this mandarin, and it was the most disgusting, old-looking mandarin I'd seen. It was all wrinkly and, like, puffed up, and you push the skin, and it, like, sag in. Like, it wasn't one of those, like, kind of, you know, Tight mandarin is like saggy. And I was like, oh, yuck. And she's like, no, it's, it's delicious. You have to try it. I'm like, mm, I don't know. She's like, no, you've got to try it. And she, she kept pressing me. So I was like, okay. And so I peeled off that kind of wrinkly old skin and I ate the mandarin. And it was the most delicious mandarin I've ever tasted. And I was amazed how even though on the outside it looked all wrinkly and old, on the inside, right, it was so beautiful. And the truth is that one day each of us are going to wake up. And you're going to look in the mirror or you'll turn to the person who's lying next to you and you're going to see a wrinkly old mandarin. But that's our destiny. We can't stop that. No amount of, you know, cosmetics or surgery is going to stop what is inevitable. You cannot make it, like for those of us, I know we've kind of hit our peak. Unfortunately, I'm just going to say, most of us will never look as good as we used to look. On the outside, you're fading away. But you know where you can be beautiful? On 
until the last day on this earth. It's on the inside. And that is what God calls us to do. Paul mentions women again because this is a particular struggle for women, he says. They're not exclusive. You know, some men, we struggle with this. When you step into church, what is of your greatest concern is not what God thinks about you, but it's what they think about me. And maybe for those of us who stand in public places, in maybe praise or preaching, to think about what people think about me rather than what God thinks about me. Sometimes we sing for people rather than sing to praise and worship God. And for guys, I think sometimes it's, it's about how we work out, how built I am, how massive my, sh- my arms are, and wear the tightest shirts, and you know, I've been there, and walking around, and like, oh, like, I, can't, I can't reach for that thing, my, I just worked out. And it's the same idea. You know, Paul says something interesting in chapter 4 in, in this letter. He says, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Now, bodily training, that doesn't necessarily mean the gym, but I think some of us, we are obsessed with, let's say, the gym. And to those of us who are some men, Paul would also say, seek godliness. The call for the Christian women in particular, but not exclusively, is to fight that lie, just to think about the outward appearance. Don't care too much and don't care too little. Don't care too much about what you wear and how you look, that it becomes your identity, that it consumes you, that it's all that you focus on when you step into this place of worship. Don't care too much that it becomes a distraction for you away from God and that it becomes a distraction for the people around you away from God because of the way you dress. And don't care too little that you'd wear anything and say, hmm, I don't care. Because in order to wear what is respectable with modesty and self-control requires at least a little bit of thought. It requires purposefulness. It requires you to say, I think this isn't helpful for the people in the church. It might distract them from focusing on God. And so I will not wear these kinds of things. In today's society, saying what the Bible says and saying what I just said will be labeled maybe sexist. People say, let a woman wear what she wants. How dare you tell a woman what to wear, right? And if it's going to stumble other people, well, it's their problem, not mine, right? You might have heard things like this. But again, that's an individualistic, unloving, self-centered way of thinking. And as I said in the first point, God calls a church for community, not just to think about you or you and God, but to think about the other people here. That is loving, and that is what God calls us to think about. Number three, we are to pursue creation's order. Paul and the Bible calls us to pursue the order that we find in creation and to fight against the lie of equality. And this is the controversial one. Maybe equality isn't the best word because in many ways, men and women are equal. Equal in the image of God. Men and women are equal in value and worth. It's not that men are better than women or vice versa. It's not that men are uh, 
smarter than women, and probably, you know, most often it's the opposite. It's not that men are even better at leading than women or skilled in those areas. What this is about is about order. The way God has designed men and women in their roles, both in the household and in the church, which is the household of God. Now, the household is not what we're talking about. We are talking about the church, right? That's the context of 1 Timothy chapter 2. All right, verse 11. Paul says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now, the word quietly, it seems a little rude. The King James, I think, says, Let a woman learn in silence. That's even ruder. But this word, quietly, is the same word used in verse 2. Right there. In verse 2, Paul, when he tells the church to pray, he says, Pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now, that word there is used to talk not about silence, but about peace, harmony. And so when Paul says, let a woman learn quietly, he's calling women to learn in such a way that it maintains peace. It maintains harmony. It doesn't create disunity. And so the opposite of learning quietly is not learning noisily. The opposite of learning quietly will be learning arrogantly or learning in an antagonistic way in order to disrupt things. And that's in line with what he says, with all submissiveness. Now, again, that has negative connotations sometimes. But what that is talking about is order. That word submissive means order under. There is an order in which God has created in the world. And we live in it all the time, right? Uh, When you go to work, you order yourself under your boss. The Bible says that the world is submitted to Christ, right? We're ordered under him. Christians submit to one another. We order ourselves under each other that we might serve each other and think about each other. Wives are to submit to husbands. That's the order. And in the church, men are to be ordered as a leader. Not all men, but select men. And that's the intended order of God, right? And so this is unpacked in verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. It's worth noting that Paul's language here uh, becomes stronger as he hits this very controversial topic. In verse 1, Paul had said, I urge prayer. In verse 8, he says, I desire that we pray, right, with holy hands, but horizontal, healthy relationships. But in verse 12, the language is stronger. He says, I do not permit. And maybe out of all the things Paul has said in chapter 2, he is most concerned and feels strongest about this one. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Remember, this is in the context of the church when people gather to worship God, right? That's where chapter 2 has been. I want to say two things of what Paul is saying. Number one, women should not teach Men. Paul here says women should not teach, right? He doesn't say teach men. But we know elsewhere in the Bible, 
and even from Paul's letters to Timothy, in 2 Timothy and to Titus, uh, that women are expected to teach. Women are expected to teach children, and women are expected to teach other women. Right, so if you think about ch- you eliminate children and then you eliminate adult women, what you're left is with men. Right? Women are not to teach men. And that also makes sense in context because Paul says next, or exercise authority over man. So the teaching that is excluded is for women to teach men. And teach in such a way where you have authority over the men that you speak over. Now, not all teaching is authoritative. A seminar, uh, workshops, discussions, testimonies, they're not really authoritative in my mind. But what I'm doing right now is authoritative. The preaching of God's word, right, especially in the gathering on Sunday where men and women are here together and we sit under God's word, this is an act of authority. When I open up the scriptures, we are acting as if we are hearing from God through a vessel to you. And the expectation is that the church, the gathered Christians, would hear, submit, and obey to what is being preached, as long as it aligns to what God is saying. This is an act of authority. Not just that you would learn something, but that you'll be convicted and that your life will be transformed. Does that kind of make sense? And so in these ways, women are not to teach men. And so at Kingsway, we allow like nearly everything but the Sunday preaching of this gathered worship of adults would not be allowed, where men are present. Second, women should not lead men. Paul says he does not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Now, what is in mind, again, is not any kind of leadership, but it's a leadership that entails a sort of authority over men, a spiritual authority. Um, and so at Kingsway, we allow uh, women to lead in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, but what we don't allow is a spiritual authority over the church. Now, it's interesting, when we get to the next chapter, which I think is next week, Paul's going to talk about the qualifications of an elder and a deacon. Um, The elder is the highest, I guess, level of authority in the church. And what distinguishes the elder from the deacon is that the elder is expected to do two things. They're expected to teach and they're expected to lead. The exact things that Paul is talking about here. And so at Kingsway, uh, we believe that that office of elder is reserved for men, right? That highest place of authority. Because that's what Paul is saying here. Women can lead in a bunch of different ways, lead teams, lead ministries. At Kingsway, we allow uh, women to lead growth groups, lead women's groups. In all these ways, we think women should lead, but in this one particular area, we believe the Bible says no. And that's what, what, that's what Paul says. Let me talk about why. Why I believe this is true. Because you may be asking, is this still relevant for us today? Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago to a church in Ephesus. Maybe it was just written to those people at that time. Is it really for us? Because, you know, we've, we've advanced as a society. We know better. 
right? You know, equality and all that stuff. So those things were for back then when they were, you know, not as smart, but now we know that we've progressed. And if I'm honest with you, I would like to agree. It'd be so much easier if we said yes. There's no rules. Let's all do whatever. So much easier, less controversial. The reason why I believe what I just said is what the Bible says is because of the reasons why Paul gives. The reason why Paul says we should believe in this is because it is rooted in the order of creation. I'm going to talk about two things. Number one, the order of creation. Paul says in verse 13, because, right, for, he says, women should not teach men or lead men because Adam was formed first, then Eve. Paul goes back to the book of Genesis when God created the universe and points out the order in which God created Adam and Eve. And he says, God made Adam first and then he made Eve. And you're like, who cares who he made first? But the Bible cares. If you read through the Old Testament especially, the idea of the firstborn is very important. You kind of see it in Asian culture where the firstborn is like, I'll give you all of my inheritance. And number two and three, I'm number two. Oh, no. There's no business there. But you know, you know, there's like this kind of firstborn, very important. It, biblically, we see that in the Bible. Now, in, I'll, give me a, I'll give you an example. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist says this kind of weird thing. John, this is John the Baptist, John bore witness about Jesus, and he said, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So that's what John the Baptist is saying. Jesus, who comes after me, ranks before me because he was before me. It's such a weird kind of thing that he says, right? And what John is saying is, he who ranks comes after me ranks before me. And he's saying it, like the reason why he says it is because it's shocking to him. Jesus was born after him. So John is born before Jesus, but he's saying, but... Even though I was born first, Jesus is before me. Right? He's more important. He's, he has greater authority than me. Right? In John's mind, that's weird because, again, the order of birth matters. And he says, he was before me because he was before me. Right? He ranks before me because he was before me. John's saying, in a way, Jesus was, existed even before I was born because he was there since the beginning of creation. Therefore, it makes sense in my mind that he would have authority over me. Right? All of this just to show in biblical times, order mattered. Jesus himself is described as the firstborn of all creation in Colossians 1. That is a title meant to refer to him the place of authority because he was the first. And so... Paul goes to creation and says, do you see Adam was created by God first? God gathered um, dust and created Adam out of this dust. And after giving him the command to rule over the earth, does he then take out a rib and he creates Eve. That order, Paul is saying, is talking about authority. It's talking about the role of men 
for men to lead and for women to help. Right? Evil's made as a helper. If Paul's command for women not to teach or lead men was only for that specific time 2,000 years ago, Paul did not need to go to anywhere in the Bible to back up his argument. And Paul could have gone anywhere else. He could have gone to any Old Testament example. But Paul went to, and this is important, he went to creation. He went to the time before sin was in the world. The garden is the model of perfection. When God made Adam and Eve and he made the universe, before sin entered the world, that was the way it was meant to be. Sin came in, it messed up a whole bunch of stuff. But Paul doesn't go to a place where sin existed. He goes to a place before sin existed and he says, see there, that was the model where God intended for humanity and what God's intention was, was that man was first and that woman was second. And this isn't about worth, this isn't about value, it's just about the role that God intends. God's intention is for men to lead in the household and for men to lead in the church. And again, it's highly controversial. But when you look at our God, our Godhead is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, equal of value and worth. The Father is fully God, the Son is fully God, the Holy Spirit is fully God, and yet in the Godhead, there is a distinction of authority. Where the Father sends the Son, and the Son submits to the Father, and does whatever the Father says, and the Holy Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son, to do the will of the Father and the Son. And in that, we see authority. We see leadership. We see submission, not because any part of the Godhead is less than the other part, but that is just the way God has intended the order to be. And so in the church, Paul says, it is the same. Sin did not create manhood and womanhood. Sin did not create order. God created it, and he created it in the garden. Second, the second reason why I believe this is applicable to us is that Paul then goes to the disorder of the fall. Verse 14, Paul says, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. This verse seems to imply that Eve was more gullible. Like, oh, the woman was deceived, so she shouldn't lead, lead because she was the one who um, gave in to the lie of Satan. But that's not what's going on here. What Paul is pointing out is the disorder that happened when sin occurred. Now, I want to go to Genesis 3. So I think it's going a bit long. Okay, let me try. We're going to finish soon. In Genesis 3, we see this. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. When you eat of that fruit, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. The original order, what I just talked about, God's intention was this, that God would be 
the boss. He's number one. He's the highest of authority. Then he makes Adam with Eve as the helper, a very close second that they might fill, subdue the earth. Right? That's what we find in Genesis 1. Fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over every living thing. We've got God, Adam, Eve, creation. God, Adam, Eve, creation. But here in Genesis 3, what we see when sin enters into the world is a reversal of that order. And that's what Paul's talking about. It wasn't Adam who was deceived. It was the woman. She heard from the serpent. So we've got the serpent, creation, the snake at the top, deceiving Eve and Eve choosing to lead the family. And she leads Adam and gives him the fruit. And now God is lost. You kind of see the reversal of God's intended order in the fall. What was meant to be God, Adam, Eve, creation is now creation, Eve, Adam, God. And Eve, when she was deceived, she did not, did not seek the wisdom of her husband. And worse is that Adam was right there with her and he did not lead his wife. He let her lead and teach him. What Paul is saying is the fall is not just disobedience to God's commands, it was disobedience to God's intended order for humanity. And that was a part of the sin that occurred. The woman chose to lead and teach her husband, and her husband willingly let the woman lead and teach him. At the end of the day, Adam is accounted is the one accountable for it. It's, the Bible says that we are in sin because of Adam, and he is our head, again, because he's the leader. He gets the brunt of the responsibility because he really failed. He was meant to lead, but he failed to lead. In the church, God rules and reigns, and he calls us to return to that intended order, no matter how controversial and uncomfortable it might be. That's the way he has always designed it to be. Women should not teach men. And women should not lead men in the gathered worship in a place of authority. Now, don't understand what I'm saying. I'm going to close soon. I'm not saying we need less women who teach. We actually need more women who teach. Paul says in verse 11, he wants women to learn. Women are equal disciples of Jesus. Every woman is called to learn and study and mature in the knowledge and godliness and we are all to grow in knowledge and study. And we need more women who will teach children and teach other women. There's more women in the world than men. There's more women in the church than men. Right? Even at Kingsway and around the world. The church needs more women who are willing to learn and grow in their knowledge, to mature, to study, and then to lead and to teach, especially lead and teach other women and children to be mentors, to disciple, to speak into their lives and situations. When a woman teaches, it is not that her teaching is less valuable than mine because, I'm on, because only men are allowed to preach in this place. A woman's teaching is in many ways, more valuable than my teaching can be because they can speak into the lives of other women in a more powerful and intimate way than I ever can. The answer to this is not that we just need men 
who teach, we need more women. And we need to be praying about that and helping that happen. So let me close. Paul has challenged us to not follow the society around us. It calls us to pursue community and not follow the lie of individualism. It calls us to follow character, not follow the lie of external glamour. And it calls us to pursue creation's order and not follow the lie of equality. That is what a healthy church believes. And that is how a healthy church behaves. I did a lot of reading uh, in preparation for this sermon. Um, it's a tough one. And again, I acknowledge that some of what I said might have been uncomfortable or offensive. Um, and if you want to have a chat about it, please come speak to me. Um, and again, if you are not a believer, I hope this doesn't make you quit on God. Right? What is of primary importance is Jesus. Go to Jesus. Discover who he is before you give up on God because of these important but secondary issues. All right, can we close? And let's pray. Let's pray. We live in a noisy world where the devil and society tells us their version of truth like the devil did to Adam and Eve in the garden. And the world and the enemy tells us that God's word is not true and that we shouldn't listen to it or follow his ways. You will not surely die, the devil said, but it will be better for you. So turn away from what God says. Turn away from what is God's way and follow me because I'll show you what is better. And that's the fight for us today. The fight to believe and hear and submit to and obey what God's word says despite all of the so-called truth that surrounds us. The world tells us it's all about you. It's about the individual. and Who cares about the people around you? The world tells you that it's all about how you look. It's your glamour and it's your outward appearance. And the world tells you that there's no difference between man and woman. And in fact, right now, what is a man and woman that's under attack? But God's word calls us to pursue community, pursue character, and pursue creation's order. Can we wrestle with that in prayer? I don't know what you're thinking or feeling, whatever you're feeling and thinking. Can you just wrestle with that with God? Ask Him to help you to submit, not to me, but submit to God's word. That's hopefully what I tried to unpack today. Help me, God, to submit to you and listen to you. And would you pray for Kingsway? God, help us to be a healthy church with healthy doctrine that lives in a healthy kind of way. Can we make that our prayer? Let's pray for about a minute and then we'll sing a song. Let's pray.